You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, a couple different things that I want to look at here. The first of which that is uh, intriguing to me, that is, um, believe it or not, what I would call a thought exercise, although some people are getting offended by simply asking the question. Um, The question being, what would Aaron Rodgers' trade value be if he were traded? It's called a hypothetical question. It's not something we need to... uh, You you don't pass the test by saying, no, they won't trade him. That's that you are are wrong. It's the only way to, to get the question wrong, actually. Amazingly, some people still get the question wrong. It's one of the benefits of a hypothetical question is... It's kind of hard to be wrong, because I'm kind of just asking your opinion, your thoughts on something that may or may not happen. So if you want to just not fail the test, don't say, never going to (laughs) happen. Well, you lose. Sorry. That was a playing freaking t-ball here, man. You just whiffed. That's embarrassing. But it happens. It's all right. It's just t-ball's not for you, not for everybody. Not everybody's an athlete, you know. But I wanted to, because I saw the conversation flying around on Twitter and people arguing and bickering back and forth. Um, I have my own thoughts, but I wanted to just kind of put it to Twitter and say, what do you guys think in terms of compensation? Um, And we've got out of four options, and I I left it pretty broad, and there was definitely a lot of um, of gray area. You know, technically you can have a one and more, and it ends up being more than two firsts, but I'm glad nobody kind of went into the technicalities of it. I I tried to keep, because they only give you four options on Twitter on their polls. So uh, multiple firsts, in other words, minimum would be two first-round picks, could be more than that. First and more, which theoretically would be less than two firsts, but more than one first. Exactly one first, which is obviously the most specific, so I would expect that to be the least, but at the same time, it's a good round number. And then less than a first. And um, three of those were very, very close. 18% said it would be multiple firsts. 16% said it would be one first. 14.3% said less than a first. Over 50, 51.1% said first and more. So first round, second round, first and a third, whatever. Fair enough. Um, I also saw a lot of uh, kind of back and forth on the Twitters about this in terms of what people think the compensation is and why you should or shouldn't compare it to other things. But I scoured the internet a little bit just to kind of see what, not that anybody knows, but, you know, just kind of see what people are thinking on the subject. And so I found, uh, let's see, this first article here by James Fragosa from Pro Football Network. And he did a mock draft, and in that mock draft, Aaron Rodgers was traded. So the question is, what is the compensation that the Packers would get. And the most common is to the Jets. In his trade, he had the Green Bay Packers receive picked 13 and 43. The Jets receive Aaron Rodgers. So essentially, he agreed. It would be a first and a second, and the Jets would receive Aaron Rodgers. He had us taking Jordan Addison, by the way, followed by Broderick Jones, which I think is a successful draft, although we didn't get Michael Mayer. Plus, Washington took Michael Mayer at pick 16. So the we draft Michael Mayer at all costs or we burn the city to the ground people 
would especially lose their mind the fact that he went one pick later. Um, the Ringer did an article, very comprehensive article. Actually, you know what? Maybe I'll save this for last because it's comprehensive. Uh, Danny Heifetz. We'll save that one. By the way, one thing that we need to keep in mind here in terms of trades is the only way we're getting a 2023 trade compensation is if we trade him in 2023. If we do that thing where we spread it out, his contract from 2023 and 2024, it's called a post uh, June 1st trade. Now, I, I believe you can do a trade um, prior to and designate it that, but I don't think you can get 2023 trade compensation, but then just hold off on the paperwork. That doesn't work. So if we are willing to take this massive cap hit now, then we can get a 2023 first round pick. The fact that we're talking about that as a certainty seems surprising to me. I, I think it's more likely if he's traded, which is unlikely to begin with, but if he is traded, I think it's more likely that the, the first first round pick we're going to get is in 2024. Because again, it's going to be a post-June 1 trade, and so there will not be a draft to get compensation for. Sorry to burst your bubble. But anyways, let's continue. Got an article by Freddie Boston over at Lombardi Avenue. That guy, I tell you what, Freddie Boston is like Zach Cruz without Twitter. <laughs> I wrote for Lombardi Avenue, I think prior to starting the podcast. So we're talking five, six years ago. And he was the dude over there. Anyways, he did Packers 2023 three-round mock draft featuring Aaron Rodgers' trade. And he has us again doing the Jets. But in this case, um, it's a 2023 first. I don't even know what year it is. And a 2024 first round pick. So similar, but with just a little bit more juice to it. And we got Cody Williams, five dream Aaron Rodgers trades that would help the Packers too. Help the Packers too. Oh, whatever. Um, this again with the Jets. However, this time it's a much more ambitious trade. 2023 first, 2024 first, 2023 second, 2024 second. So this year first and second, next year first and second. Another trade scenario, this time to the Saints, and it would be um, first of all, we would get Jameis Winston. No thanks, but yep. Uh, 2023 second and third round pick and a 2024 first. So that, I guess, would be a first and more, basically. Although, altogether, would that be two firsts? Maybe. I don't know. The other one would be to go to Seattle. And in return, we would get a first and a third this year and next year's first round pick. San Francisco, which would make me throw up. Um, 2023 third round pick, a 2024 first round pick, and Brandon Ayuk. And then to the Raiders, 2023 first and third, a 2024 second round pick, and quarterback Derek Carr. So obviously, uh, Cody Williams a little bit more optimistic about the trade value. I think one of the interesting things about this article that they talk about, and by the way, there is something that was written shortly after Rogers signed his contract. If you really want to do a deep dive in understanding it. Um, a lot of this I would need to read probably two, three, four times to fully understand it. But uh, Joel Corey, March 6, 2022 of CBS wrote an article, Agents Take, Deciphering Aaron Rodgers' New Record Contract and What It Means for the Quarterback Market. Uh, but anyways, he kind of gives the numbers that we've already been hearing um, from Ken Ingalls and others about how much money this is going to cost. But the point is, here's what they wrote. Doesn't really have to do with trade compensation exactly, but it is um, it is worth noting we can't trade him next year. 
says if the Packers bring back Rodgers for 2023, it would actually be a two-year commitment. Last offseason, Green Bay signed Rodgers to a mammoth contract extension, essentially a $150 million deal for three seasons, paying Rodgers an average of $50 million per year. Because of the unique way Rodgers' contract is structured, he would almost certainly be untradeable next offseason. This was written in uh, in 2022. Um, the Packers would take an untenable $68 million dead cap hit to make the money work. That's substantially more than the record $40.5 million the Falcons took on this year after trading Matt Ryan. Even if Rodgers were to retire after next season, it would still cost the Packers $68 million in dead cap, according to CBS, blah, blah, blah. Although they could split that over two years, and if Rodgers plays two more years, that would be 2023 and 2024, uh, then retires, his dead cap figure would be $76 million. Who is that calling me? I'm going to get this many calls. i got to change my ringtone so at least we can have uh, an old-school dance party. Anyways, continuing, it says, In other words, once Rodgers gets his $58 million roster bonus by week one of the 2023 season, he will essentially be untradeable. The Packers could easily stare at those numbers and decide that if Rodgers is, wor- uh, is worth it, but committing to Rodgers for 2023 essentially runs out the clock on Love's rookie contract. So what they're saying is, if he comes back, he's coming back for two years. The thing that scares me is we don't control that, which means Brian Gutekunst, it it is 100,000% his obligation, not that he can control it, but he needs to make it very clear, Rodgers, if you're committing, you're committing to two years with us. Like You're not just trying to decide if you're okay to come back this year. You need to tell me right now that you're good coming back for two years. We can't survive you retiring next year. If you want to play this year and next year, we'll make it work. Cap hit's going to suck. Borderline unsurvivable <laughs> having him on the team, but it's it's just as unsurvivable for you to not be on the team. So I don't know how we survive this period if he decides to come back, but um, kind of need you here for two years, bud. I think the thought process is he would get a new contract if he comes back in 2025, which would make this a little bit more palatable. Um how that all works, I don't know. I'm guessing it would be a contract that would be friendly to the Packers as far as giving Rodgers a one one more final check. In other words, saying, here is money, and this is a goodbye parting gift. And that's all it is. And we're getting out of this thing. But that's the point. If you're coming back for 2023, you're also coming back for 2024. All right? And we will somehow deal with the $41.6 million cap hit next year which is projected to be over 17, almost 18% of the cap, which is, I mean, we're not winning anything, but, but that's the point. And th- there, there can be no doubt, and there needs to be a very clear communication from Brian Gutekunst that we are willing to have you back for the next two years. We are not willing to have you back for one year. And as much as Rogers has talked about, like, I'm not going to handcuff him, I'm not going to do all these things. If you genuinely believe that, you need to understand the salary cap situation. There is no option to come back for one more year. That's not a thing. You have to come back and play for two more years, and then we'll do this new contract thing to rework all the numbers, I guess, somehow. I don't really know how it works. The number guy told me. And uh, then we can kind of survive this thing a little bit. But you have to play the next two years, dude. Anyways, I thought that was an interesting um, tidbit and lends itself again to the idea that it's not so simple that he's just coming back. Again, Rodgers can pretty much do whatever he wants, but if we are going to believe him that his goal isn't to just screw the team over, he needs to commit. And and I don't think this is a guy that's willing to commit to two years. That doesn't even make sense. He's not sure he wants to commit to one, much less two. 
So I'm 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 lost on this whole. I'm I'm lost on the fact that we gave him this contract. I have no idea why we gave him this contract. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, we'll see what happens when it's all said and done. For all I know, there's going to be some kind of a thing that they're going to do with the cap, and it's like, oh yeah, I forgot about that little thing there, this detail. I don't I don't know. We will see when it's all said and done. We can do the final accounting. How much were the cap hits? How much cash did Rodgers get? Et cetera, et cetera. But as of right now. The numbers people don't see any wiggle room in this whatsoever. And everybody that I've heard that thinks it's going to be fine is not provided a shred of data to counteract it. So I have nothing else to go on. If you've got a counterpoint, show me. Show me the data and I'll try to look at it, do my best to decipher it. But I have not heard a counterpoint to any of this. Continuing on down the article, there's a paragraph that certainly resonates with, I think, any thinking person on planet Earth that says, flipping the Packers' 24-year-old quarterback for a second rounder while the 39-year-old quarterback openly discusses retirement for the third year in a row does not sound like a long-term plan, you think? But anyways, the, the crux that we've been trying to get to is this. Here's what they say in terms of compensation. A first rounder is probably the floor for Rodgers. The Broncos package for Russell Wilson, two first rounders plus two second rounders and change, is probably the ceiling. It says Rodgers is better than Wilson, but he is also more expensive and contemplates retirement every offseason, whereas Wilson committed to a five-year extension. Somewhere within that range, Rodgers might be available. So here's, here's my thought, at least in terms of how to think about this. We got to, first of all, remove Aaron Rodgers from the equation. Maybe there might be some variable about him as a person, but I don't really think that factors in. We got to let that go. We even got to let the retirement thing go because that's that kind of clouding things. What this is, is a question of number one, how good do you think Rodgers is? And to be fair, as much as many people think, I I don't think he has it in him anymore. Um... Uh, of the 32 teams, let's say 31 non-Packers teams and however many are in the quarterback market, not in the NFC North, of those teams, let's say 16, somebody thinks Aaron Rodgers still has it. And to be completely honest, the fact that the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers are both essentially throwing anything and everyone else under the bus except Aaron Rodgers is clearly helping us to make that case. And I think somebody even called in Packernet after dark and said that. This is sort of the long game we're trying to increase his trade value by throwing everybody else under the bus, which, again, is still the wrong thing to do, but it, it works for trade value potentially. Uh, pretending that it was the offensive coordinator, offensive line, wide receivers, and Rodgers is still an MVP. So I think it's fair to say that in terms of just how good will he be this year, somebody thinks he still has Aaron Rodgers, MVP Aaron Rodgers, if we have what we believe we can put around him. We believe that we have good enough weapons. Um and a a good enough offensive line for him to execute and the scheme and all that stuff. So let's just say for the sake of argument, they believe that they're getting MVP caliber Rodgers. Let's just say 2021 Rodgers. The next question is for how long? The answer is one year. Forget retirement, forget any of that stuff, forget the potential for a second year. The answer is we're getting MVP Rodgers for one, or an MVP quarterback for one year. The only other variable is um, how much we're going to have to pay, and I honestly don't know the answer to that. I know the vast majority of this contract stays with the Green Bay Packers, but I also know the new team has to pick up something, and I'm not entirely sure what that is. I've asked around a little bit, not a ton. Um, But the point is, I wouldn't know how to equate that to a value anyways. But I don't believe it's actually that hefty of a contract for the new team taking them on. It's a big contract, but it's a big contract for us. So you're getting an MVP quarterback 
for one year, um, minus however much his contract is going to cost. How much is that worth? I actually think it's fair to assume. I, I think it's the one year that's probably the biggest. You know, you don't want to give up multiple firsts for a guy. Um, I mean, and maybe you would. You know, because this year you're essentially trading your first round pick, but you're getting Aaron Rodgers, so you're getting a value. And then next year you don't have Rodgers or your first, but it was worth it, presumably, if you think it's going to get you a shot at the Super Bowl. You know, teams occasionally don't have first round picks. It happens. They survive. It's not like we're doing this for the next 17 years like the Rams or, or the Bears, where we just don't ever have picks. But if you phrase it that way, is it really that crazy to think we can get a couple firsts? Because remember, this isn't a question of what you think. This is a question of, is there one team out there that believes that you can squeeze an, one more MVP season out of Aaron Rodgers if given the right tools with a healthy thumb and all that stuff? Why, and, and why wouldn't you think that? I'm skeptical about Aaron Rodgers coming back here and having a good year, and he clearly had a down year, but if you're, let's say, the Jets, and you're saying, dude, we got an offensive line, kind of, we've got a scheme that we know he can execute because he essentially did it in Green Bay, that's what we're going to do here, more or less. Terminology and all that's the same. And he's got weapons galore. Why wouldn't we get that version of him? So if you're committing to one year of an MVP quarterback at a decent price, why wouldn't that be worth kind of a lot? Now, again, the Russell Wilson thing is certainly the ceiling. Um, in fact, I would doubt that you could get that much because as much as they're saying, well, uh, Rodgers is better than Russell Wilson, mm, here's the thing. The Russell Wilson that Denver thought they were getting compared to the Rodgers that the new team thinks that they're getting and the, and the risk of not being that, especially having seen what happened with Russell Wilson, which now has put a lot of fear into the market. I don't know. But either way, one thing that we know for a fact that Rodgers doesn't have going for him is the length of, the, which works in your favor. The longer I can have you, the more value you're worth. So two first-rounders, two second-rounders, and players is probably not going to be in the cards. But two first-rounders flat out, no players, just this year's first, next year's first, is that possible? I think it could be. I mean, again, a lot of my negativity toward the situation is based on he had a terrible year, and he's going to retire any second, and why would you pay, you know, because I wouldn't. I don't, I, I don't like investing in just one year, especially considering it's a crapshoot, even if you can guarantee you have the best team out of 32, which if you're the Jets, come on, man, you actually think you're going to have the best team out of 32. But even if you can guarantee that, your odds of winning the Super Bowl are still low. Wasn't uh, Buffalo the number one team via DVOA? That is to say, depending on the metric, you could say that that is the best team in the NFL, and they're gone right now. doesn't mean anything to be the best. But that's what I would do. And my skepticism about Rodgers being this great football player next year, MVP Rodgers, that's my skepticism. The question is, is there one team that's willing to go all in for a year and that believes Rodgers can be that guy? I mean, to be honest, the 49ers make the absolute most sense. They've been playing with this thing for such a long time. They've been knocking at the door. I mean, who knows? They could win this year. But if they come up just short because of Brock freaking Purdy, now would the Packers want to do that deal? I don't know. But if they're offering the most... Because who cares, dude? We, like we, we've been, we've been to the playoffs over and over again. Which, by the way, can I just say something here? The Packers are constantly getting ripped for. Oh, you get there every year, but you never win. You never win. I think the Chiefs have been to the playoffs nine out of the last ten seasons and have one Super Bowl. The 49ers go to the playoffs every year and never win it. The Buffalo Bills go to the playoffs every year and never win it. There's a lot of teams that do the same crap over and over again, but the Packers are the only ones that get that get mocked for this. I mean, aside from the Patriots back in the day, 
I don't know that anybody is really deserving of any more credit than you get to the playoffs all the time and haven't won it in 10 years. I mean, that's like the gold standard. What, are we proud of the Rams because they went to the Super Bowl 700 times and finally won one and now they suck? That's somehow better? Tampa has one win in their like five appearances and now they're going to go back to being garbage, which is exactly what they were prior to. Is that better than what the Packers have done? If the Eagles win it, then hey, they got two Super Bowls in the last, you know, six. That's pretty good, especially considering they keep cropping up from mediocrity. Like the Eagles are no good, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, dang, they won the Super Bowl? That's crazy. Oh, never mind, they suck again. Oh, dang, they won the Super Bowl? How do you do that? Maybe winning the Super Bowl is kind of like trying to jump up out of a pool, you know? If you're swimming at the top and you try to like get airborne, you can't really do it. What you got to do is you got to dive down and then swim up real fast, and then you can kind of probably not get all the way out of the water, but you know, you know what I'm saying? You want to get some height? You got to go down and then come back up. I made that up. It's stupid, but it's a thing. Don't worry about it. How about Seattle? Seattle. I mean, since, what, 2014 was when they won, and then they go to the playoffs every year and haven't done jack since. Why don't we make fun of Seattle every year? Ha, you're back in the playoffs, and you can't win the Super Bowl. You guys suck. Ah! the Saints. (laughs) You haven't won since 2010, you bunch of jerks. That was the year before Green Bay won. They go to the playoffs every year. They don't win Super Bowls. Make fun of the Giants. Make fun of the Steelers. And every other team that doesn't even get to the playoffs. Anyways, just a thought. So anyways, that's where I'm at. I mean, there are a lot of hurdles. Again, you start eliminating teams. First of all, you can eliminate the Packers because we're not going to trade them to ourselves. You can eliminate the Bears, the Vikings, and the Lions because we're not trading them there. You can eliminate all the teams that already have quarterbacks and don't want Rodgers, right? You can start to narrow it down that way, and there's less and less and less teams. Then you got to eliminate teams that don't think he's MVP Rodgers again and don't think that they have the environment to do it and don't really want to go on a one-year kind of deal. And you, you really start to narrow it down that way, and then you look at what the compensation would be. But I'm just saying, I think it's entirely possible there's, there, you know, there's a sucker born every minute kind of thing. And I tell you what, if you watch the NFL offseason – you know that one of those suckers is always an NFL GM. These guys are always doing stupid stuff. It's one of the greatest things about being a Packer fan is very rarely are we the guys doing the stupid stuff. We're starting to be that team, but you're always watching. You're like, why would somebody pay that? What are you doing? And we just need one. We just need one sucker. That's like, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you two firsts and a second and a player. Because that's the thing. We say, well, that would never happen, but that's all based on what we think what I think makes sense. It's not based on what we know, which is that GMs are kind of stupid sometimes, especially GMs that are like, we haven't had success in 70 billion years, and we just need to sell tickets and get some butts in the seats and get some media attention. You think the Jets wouldn't love to go on a deep playoff run with one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever do it? Granted, this is the whole Brett Favre thing, but still, of course they would. And what's it going to cost? A couple first round picks? What is that going to do? We're not going to be good for a while? Oh, gee. (laughs) <laughs> the Jets aren't going to be good. Oh, sound the alarm. <laughs> Alert the presses. Anyways, why don't we infuse a little bit of levity to this before we go ahead and take a quick break. Um, I had, who was that? Was that Justin? It was Nate. He sent me this video and um, said, can we please do laughing at the, uh, at the enemy Cowboys edition? So why don't we do that real quick? On this very day, January 22nd, 2023, I am officially done being a Cowboys fan. them. Do you know what it feels like to sit there and tell people year after year after year that we're going to do something and we 
fucking choke every time. Dak Prescott played football like a USFL backup today. I, I, I can't do this shit anymore. I'm tired of the expectations. I'm tired of the fan base. I'm tired of all of my fellow Cowboys fans telling me Dak Prescott is a top 10 quarterback. He's not. From here on out, I am a Chiefs fan. Patrick Mahomes is my fucking quarterback. I don't care. You can't call me a bandwagon. I don't give a fuck. I'm tired of this shit. The Chiefs have done more for the city of Dallas than the Cowboys have my entire life. They're originally from Dallas. Patrick Mahomes is from the Dallas area. I don't care. But most importantly, my quarterback would never sit up like Dak did today. Here's what's funny, and he kind of acknowledges it. This is your fault. This is your fault. You guys are the ones that do this. And he even says, I'm sick of the fan base doing this. You guys do this all the time. Everybody else is more than happy telling you. You keep saying every year, this is our year, this is our year, this is our year, this is our year. And it's never your year. Hasn't been your year since, what, 94? Come on, man. Yeah, like, we're up to, like, 53% of Cowboys fans never even seen the Cowboys win a Super Bowl. Get out of here. And same with Dak. Everybody's, well, not everybody. There's a lot of Dak fans that are not even, uh, you know, it's the same with, like, Justin Fields. I get Vikings fans and Eagles fans defending. I'm like, who are you? Go away. What are you doing, idiot? Vikings fans defending a Bears quarterback. Are you stupid? But anyways, you'll find people that'll defend that. Dak has never been that good. I mean, he's he's been good. He's been decent. He's certainly been better than he was yesterday. But he's never been that top-tier quarterback that people keep trying to make him out to be. And, and, I, and I think people kind of started to back off on that, not Dallas Cowboys fans. Just like they did with Ezekiel Elliott when I was trying to tell people he's not that good. And after about however many years they finally stopped calling. They didn't admit that they were wrong. They just kind of stopped saying it. Or, or Dalvin Cook, for that matter. Where the only time it'll ever come up that he's a great running back is when you're directly talking about it. You hear it on like the broadcast, talking about their run game. Like Dalvin Cook, who's one of the best running backs. But if you just ask them flat out, list the top five running backs, he ain't in the top five, and neither is Ezekiel Elliott. He hasn't been top five, considered top five, since like his second year in the league. But this is on you. Do you know what it's like to tell everybody year after year that we're going to do it and then we don't? No, I don't, because I don't go into the year saying we're going to win the Super Bowl this year. That's what stupid people do, i.e. Cowboys fans. Bears fans used to do it, but it's been about 10 years since the last time they say this is our year because they finally, and maybe that's how long it takes, about 20 years for them to realize that it's not our year anymore. You guys are closing in on 20 years, so maybe this is it. Maybe this is the breaking point where they stop saying this is our year. Granted, you guys at least are getting to the playoffs, unlike the Bears, who very rarely got to the playoffs. But yeah, I think it's about 20 years of sucking, which it might be 25 for you with all the playoff wins, maybe 30. I don't know how long before Cowboys fans finally give up. But it took Bears fans about 20 years of missing the playoffs before they stopped saying this is our year. Although they're starting up again with the whole Justin Fields thing. Good Lord, you guys are ridiculous. Saying you guys are going to be good. You pretend you didn't say you're going to be good last year, but I got the receipts. Bragging about every single position group on that team, half of whom got shipped off, and then you said good. The other half suck, which you fully acknowledge, aside from Justin Fields. But now, one year with one first-round pick, and you're going to take over the North. You guys are as deluded as they come. But anyways, stop doing it. You've got a pretty good football team with an above-average quarterback. And by above-average, I mean, hey, at least you got a guy that should be better than the 49ers freaking quarterback. He wasn't yesterday, but he should be, which is, by the way, hilarious. Here is, uh, I want to play this. Here's a clip of Jerry Jones after the game. Well, I thought uh, this team uh, uh, with uh, 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 Dak at quarterback, uh, I 
I thought we had a chance to uh, uh, get to and compete at the top level in this in this tournament. I really did, and uh, that was our edge here tonight. Uh, I thought the quarterback and experience of the quarterbacks, uh, they might have had a little edge and, and uh, uh, an area there, but still, I thought our quarterbacks were the edge. So, just to recap, essentially what the guy is saying is this team is a good roster, and I believe we had a really good quarterback, and as a result, we were going to have a chance to compete and win a Super Bowl this year. I genuinely believe that. And going into this game, I thought our biggest edge was the quarterback position, and then he flat out says, I think they had the advantage there. That is to say, Brock Purdy was the better quarterback in this game. You know, there was a lot of consternation about whether or not they would pay Dak, and everybody jumped on the, how could you not pay Dak Prescott? Oh my goodness, the the idea that you would ever not pay. It's the same thing we're doing right now, by the way, with uh, Lamar Jackson. The, the idea that they would not pay him. Oh my goodness, how dare you? And now they did it, and now you gotta, oh, look how stupid. This is why you should just never listen to the hordes of people, because they don't know what they're talking about. Everybody shamed Dallas to death. How dare you not pay him a billion dollars to stay there as your quarterback? And he is single-handedly sinking your franchise right now, Dallas. And again, he's fine, but is he worth that much money? Talk about overpaying running backs. We should start having a conversation about overpaying quarterbacks. Overpaying running backs is like, oh, wow, we gave 2% too much to the running back. Quarterback is like, oh, shoot, we gave 10% too much to a quarterback. Significantly better to overpay a running back than overpay a quarterback. I'll tell you that. And, and you know, if you look at Dak, his PFF grades and whatnot, he's been pretty consistent throughout. But I think the biggest thing with him is there's so many, like, trapdoor games where the bottom just falls out. Week one against Tampa, he was terrible. And then, by the way, he missed five weeks. And then he was good. He's he's fine. You know, week seven against Detroit wasn't super great, but he's just cruising along, doing great. You know, Chicago, Green Bay, Minnesota, the Giants. Then he plays Indy, garbage. And then he has his, like, one week of recovery where he's back in the 60s, and then it's like, all right, yeah, we're cruising Jacksonville, Philly, Tennessee, and then trapdoor game, Washington, garbage. Then Tampa Bay, oh, he plays great, plays fine, good to go. 305 yards, four touchdowns. Are you kidding me? That's why you pay Dak's son. And then and then, uh, then the 49ers happened. I'll tell you the trade that nobody's talking about. Rodgers to Dallas. Think about it. Jerry Jones runs Dallas. No question about it. Jerry Jones knows, being completely honest, he doesn't have forever to wait for a Super Bowl to happen. So trading away the future, of which Jerry may not have, for an immediate win, especially being able to have Aaron Rodgers on your team, which I'm sure he would love, reuniting with Mike McCarthy that Rodgers has been gushing about, you know, McCarthy and his scheme and how much, how beautiful it was and everything else. You've got a great offensive line. You've got great wide receivers. What do you do with Dak? I don't know. I mean, if we if we both agree to do a post-June 1 trade and we just swap quarterbacks, I'm not saying we want Dak, but you know what I'm saying. We could bring him on. We each get a quarterback for a year. We get Dak to be the guy, along with Jordan Love. I guess it would be two years, 2023 and 2024. Post-June 1 cap hit, I think, for them in a trade is like $18 million in dead money. They could survive that. So I think it's like 19 for us. We get 29-year-old Dak to kind of be along with... I don't know how you handle that in terms of, do we just let Jordan Love be the guy and Dak is our backup? Or is Dak your guy and Jordan Love sits there behind Dak with his hands up going, dude, this is BS. I'm not sure. The problem is the compensation. 
Because I feel like Dallas would be like, here, you get Dak, and then you don't have to, we don't have to give you anything else. And it's like, oh, no, 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 excuse me. Uh, we would like something else, actually. And in reality, we'd probably have to give them something, which would be really stupid. But I'm just saying, how about you trade Dak to anybody else and then get Rodgers? How about that? You trade Dak to the Jets, and then you can get Rodgers. I know I'm making a lot of people that hate Dallas mad. I'm just saying. I think Rodgers would be down for it. And let's be honest, Rodgers doesn't lose in Dallas. It's the perfect pairing. They would have a perfect home record. It's also a perfect pairing because Dallas nor Rodgers seem to have much postseason success. So perfect regular season record and then fail in the playoffs. And again, it just works out great. And holy crap, I just saw this. Dallas Cowboys Twitter, as in the actual official Twitter account of the Dallas Cowboys with 4.3 million followers tweeted this out. And granted, this is... uh, this is, uh, it's an article that's Dak, Dak on loss to the 49ers. Unacceptable, 100% on me. But here's what the social media team tweeted out as they tweeted out this article. Dak Prescott gave away the ball twice in the narrow loss to the 49ers in a matchup the Cowboys had a chance to win if they didn't generate self-inflicted wounds. Dak says, I'm sorry, and Dallas Cowboys fans, owner, and social media team All said, not yet, you're not. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you would like to support the podcast, that would be greatly appreciated. You can do so for as little as a dollar a month. Also, please consider giving to Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. Nope. Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry at FertileGroundRanch.org. See if that's something you'd be interested in supporting. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Anyways, uh, I would like to move on to the NFL draft, but something keeps coming up. There, There is... I mentioned this already probably two days ago. A lot of the times, guys like Schefter, they don't actually say anything. They say, here's the information I have, and here's the best conclusion I can come to. And... So the response is, so you're not actually telling us anything. And a lot of the pro-media folks that are out there that will defend Schefter and everybody else every single turn they get will say, oh, no, 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 this is new information. This is really good information. You just don't know how to listen. So Schefter comes out again. And apparently he rephrases it in a way that makes it 100% obvious that this is new information. Ready? Here's what he had to say. What do you know about what's going on with Aaron Rodgers? Well, did that sound like a guy who was ready to retire? And if he retired, by the way, he'd be walking away 
from $100 million in guaranteed money. You gonna walk away from $100 million? Drink cash, no way. Okay. Drink cash. So, if, so, okay. Can you so, say it like $100 million? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So assuming that he's not walking away from $100 million. All right. So what did we learn about Aaron Rodgers? Nothing. He's saying this is a lot of money, and there's no way that he would walk away from this much money. It's not an insight. This is not him saying he knows that Rodgers isn't going to walk away. He heard from some guy. He's saying it's, it's the, I don't personally believe he would ever do that. Well, I don't care, Schefter. Your value to this community is the fact that you have contacts and can pick up the phone and call people that I can't who can give you answers. If you don't have answers from people that know what's going on, I don't care what you think, Adam. This is not new information. Continuing on. $100 million in guaranteed money, sounding like the guy that he does. Now we've got two options. Either he's back in Green Bay or he's traded. Okay. Again, those aren't just the only two options. He started this by saying, assuming what we're saying is true, which I do not, we only have two options. We don't. We have three options because retirement is an option. And there's a real possibility that both sides here are going to be thinking about him being traded. If you look- and this is the part where apparently this is big news. Adam Schefter is saying that both sides really do want to get this done. He didn't say that. He said there's a chance that both sides will want to get this done. No kidding. No kidding. Look at the Packers cap situation. They right now are one of the teams that's over the salary cap. They've got to find room somewhere. They're, by the way, about $15 million over the cap. If they trade Rodgers uh, this season, they would clear out $16 million. But aside from the math, there's just the common sense standpoint of this. Again, he, for a while, has had thoughts about leaving. This goes- Again, has he said a single thing of value here? No, not from an insider standpoint. He's just a guy parsing through data that we all already have coming to what he believes is the best conclusion. Come on, play. back a couple of years. The Packers have had thoughts about moving on from him. That's gone on for a while. At some point in time, they may want to take a look at Jordan Love. There's salary cap considerations. I think that there are going to be moments this offseason where they're going to wind up talking to teams to see whether it's worth it to move ahead and trade Aaron Rodgers. And that, to me, is going to be one of the central... Notice how he said, I think. He didn't say they're going to have conversations. He says, I think. Why? Well, of course you think that. You just said you think they're going to be looking for a trade. So that means necessarily you think they're going to be calling other teams, right? I think. I don't care what you think, dude. Social storylines of the offseason, moving on from a guy... And just like we couldn't imagine the day would come that they would trade Brett Favre, they traded Brett Favre, he was 38 years old, turned 39 that season. Aaron Rodgers is going to be 39 right now. So there are some real questions about his future and whether or not it's in Green Bay. And both sides still have to figure it out, but there's the real possibility that this could result in a trade. There's the real possibility based on Adam Schefter's feelings, based on the information and what he believes makes the most sense, which is fine. But the fact that this is being peddled as an insight from an insider is entirely false. There is not one insider insight in this entire thing. Not one. Final thing I wanted to bring up. Um, Yesterday, I was uh, cruising for something different because the YouTube's kind of dried up as far as Packers content, which makes sense. They're either talking about Rodgers and not really adding any content or they're talking about the playoffs, which, again, makes sense because there are teams that are in the playoffs. Why talk about a team that was eliminated from the playoffs? So I get it. But 
I was like, I got I to gotta see what the temperature is out there. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I haven't done it in a while. I'm going to find a Packers podcast that I haven't listened to before. And so the first one that popped up that I've never listened to before is called Dedicated Packers. And the first episode you'll see is the Packers offensive dilemma is here and very real. And he starts off by kind of going through the Packers offensive scheme and all that. Now, there's a lot of nuance in there. Good episode. Go listen to it, et cetera, et cetera. But the one thing that kind of got going in my head, and there's been a lot of talk about this. Again, Clayton's been talking about it a ton, and it's kind of an overwhelming topic that I've kind of just let him handle and have kind of just stayed out of it because I don't know the nuance between Lafleur and Shanahan and McVeigh and all that stuff. I, I know that they're from the same family tree, but they operate differently. But there's one thing that I've always kind of known that I've just never really put the pieces together until I listened to, what's his name? Nicholas, I think is his name. Talk about it on the podcast. What do we know about what coaches are supposed to do? And it's not that they always do this, but what are they supposed to do? It's not enough to just know a scheme and copy and paste it somewhere else. You have to tailor it to the offense that you have. And the reason that I think that that's important is because I think for a lot of us that have already, obviously some people still believe we run the Shanahan, the, the Kyle Shanahan offense, which we don't. But I think that's sort of the wrong question. The way in which we diverge from the Rams, from the 49ers, from all the other teams, the question isn't just, are we different, but why are we different? Because again, uh, Matt started, he, he went down the exact same path as Kyle and Sean over in Washington, then over in Atlanta. And Kyle Shannon was the offensive coordinator. He was a quarterback coach. And then he went over to McVay, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and McVay was in that group as well. I think he was the tight ends coach in Washington while, uh, I forget how that worked out. Was he the, was Kyle the offensive coordinator? I don't think he was. I don't know. Doesn't matter. But the point is what a good coach is supposed to do is tailor your scheme to your players. And I was trying to think back to Tennessee and think when he was the offensive coordinator over there and had complete control, what did they do? And I remember when we hired him and the media was not super excited about it because of how bad Tennessee was. And, and they pushed Gutekunst and, and Mark Murphy about that. Like, did you kind of consider the fact that he kind of sucked over there and all that? And the biggest response from Gutekunst, and I've referenced this a few times where he was kind of confused, like, that's a stupid question, but okay. How about the fact that their quarterback was so jacked up he didn't have feeling in his throwing hand? Or the fact that the offensive scheme was built around a tight end that went out for the season after week one? And it's the second part of that that I usually ignore, aside from, you know, the obvious, you know, why we hired Matt LaFleur, even though they weren't successful. But it was the fact that that offensive system was built around Delaney Walker. It was built around a tight end, and he catered and built this scheme. And by the way, again, this is kind of when um, Derrick Henry broke out. Remember, he was a backup nobody for a long time. And it was, you know, I think, it, I don't know if the timing exactly works out. It might have been the year before he started to break out or whatever. But, but it, was, it was at this time that Derrick Henry became the focal point of the offense when he was, when LaFleur was the offensive coordinator. Now he comes over to Green Bay. What is the focal point of the offense? What is it? It's Aaron Rodgers. And so the point is, there's no reason. Let, let, let's forget the idea that the schemes are inherently different, as though Matt LaFleur wants to run the scheme differently than Kyle Shanahan does. Let's replace or swap Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur, and let's leave competence out of it in terms of who's better than who. Do you think Kyle Shanahan 
would run the same kind of offense in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers as he would in San Francisco, where he has to build a system that is around absolutely horrific quarterbacks and dominant tight ends. Why would you do the same thing in a system where you have a great offensive line, bad running backs, bad quarterbacks, elite tight ends? Why would that look the same as a team that has an elite quarterback, an elite wide receiver, no tight ends, and a good offensive line, pass-blocking offensive line? Why, Why would they look the same? And so the larger reason that I bring that up is this. If and when Aaron Rodgers does leave, shouldn't there be every reason to believe that the scheme would take a pretty radical divergence from the way that it was under Aaron Rodgers? Now, maybe it won't. Maybe, maybe we'll try to put Love into that role, but I really doubt it because Jordan Love, even if he's really talented, is not Aaron Rodgers from an from a understanding standpoint and, and just even the way in which he's good and, and the strengths and weaknesses, it's all different. But let's just say, for example, we do decide to keep Aaron Jones. We, we kick the money out, Aaron Jones stays. He is the focal point. Then let's say we go out and we get a tight end, a couple tight ends, whatever, and they are studs. Now we've got an elite or a, 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 a very good, I won't say elite, let's just leave it at very good for Christian Watson, speed threat wide receiver on the outside, hopefully a very, very good dominant tight end that should be the focal point as far as his blocking and his receiving ability and just, just work in the body. And then, of course, Aaron Jones. That is, you know, whatever the focal point is, I don't know, but th- those become the focal point much more than the quarterback is. And so you build around those more so than around the quarterback, which is obviously what you do when you have Aaron Rodgers, who is the back-to-back MVP, et cetera, et cetera. So what I'm saying is I want to get away from the idea that there is the LaFleur offense and the Shanahan offense, and here's how they're different. Here's how they were different. But I don't think it's Lafleur. wherever he goes, this is how he wants to implement his scheme. I think he's taking the core concepts of the Mike Shanahan and uh, Gary Kubiak and, and these guys. We're going to take those core concepts and apply it to the team that I have. And again, the Rams, the 49ers, and the Packers have very different teams. And how that scheme um, unveils itself in each given situation, is going to be different. Again, in Tennessee, they had a bad quarterback. Remember, that was when they had, uh, what's his name? That's when they had Marcus Mariota. So Matt LaFleur had a different, and I don't know in every way in which it was different, but I know that it was different. It was not built around Mariota. It was built around Delaney Walker. I promise you the offense that we have now, with the exact same guy running the offense, is not building our offense around Mercedes Lewis. He's building it around Aaron Rodgers. In other words, he's adapting the concepts to the roster. And when the key focal point goes away, you have to adapt that. And I think that's what's going to happen, assuming Rodgers does not come back. He's going to readapt this offense to the new roster, which will be potentially Rodgers-less. Maybe everything I'm saying is relatively obvious, but what I'm, what I'm saying for those of you for which you didn't already know this or think this is that I think there's been a... a conceptual misunderstanding in that this is the way Matt runs the offense, period. No matter the situation, no matter the players, no matter what team he's on, this is how he thinks offenses should be run, and it's either good or bad, and that's it. 
Now, again, his ability as a play caller and his ability to formulate an offense around the pieces he had, that's an entirely different conversation. He might just be bad at this. And maybe he's going to get another crack and say, I think Aaron Jones is our guy. We're going to try to build around him and et cetera. And he's going to do a terrible job executing that. But the point is, there's every reason to believe that if Aaron Rodgers isn't here, that he's going to apply his knowledge of how an offense should be run to the new players, and it's going to manifest itself in a completely different way so that it may start to look more like the 49ers or maybe like a different iteration of this scheme. I don't know. Anyways, let's use the last of our time here to uh, look at the draft. It's been way too long. I wanted to kind of do a thing a day so we can kind of rip through this and I'm falling behind. What I wanted to focus on are the names that are more obvious so we can really hone in on um, not just the name in terms of, yeah, it's the same names over and over, but really get a firm understanding of these players and then start to focus on some of the others. Oh, and the universe is not going to let me move on. All right, somebody just posted this very quickly because I've been saying I don't know the answer to this question. This is via Over the Cap. Thank you very much to uh, Big Bro underscore 21 on Twitter for posting this in response to a person that is not me. Regardless of when the trade occurs, the acquiring team in an Aaron Rodgers trade um, would exercise his option, and then on his new team, the cap charge for 2023 would be 15.79, and 2024 it would be 18 million. So to answer that question of how much would it cost them, 15 million bucks, call it 16. That's pretty cheap, man. So again, MVP quarterback, this is, we're assuming this, but I don't want to have to re-explain this, so please stay focused. MVP quarterback, one year, 15.79 million. What is that worth? I think you can get a, I think you can get a chunk for that, man. I do. Anyways, last time we talked about Michael Mayer, and the reason is he is the most mocked player to the Green Bay Packers. The second most mocked player, and it's not by a wide margin, but it is by a decent margin, is wide receiver Jordan Addison. So that's who I want to look at today. And again, I want to kind of go through some of the different um, mock drafts that had uh, them uh, taking the Packers just to kind of see what they said. First of all, Tankathon, they don't really give notes, but Tankathon, as the most recent mock draft, had the Packers at 15 taking Jordan Addison. James Fragosa, uh, a couple days ago, did a 2023 NFL mock draft for Pro Football Network. He had the Packers taking Jordan Addison at pick, I think, 15. Oh, this is actually, hilariously, this is the one where we did the trade with the Jets. So I already talked about this one today. But let's see what he said about Jordan Addison because we kind of skipped over that part. By the way, this is the pick we would get, pick 13, in the trade with the Jets. But anyways, here's what he says. It's a very small snippet. Most of it is about the trade. But after riding the pine for three seasons, it's Jordan Love's time to shine. But to do so, he'll require an improving receiving core. Enter Jordan Addison. The twitchy USC wide receiver is the most efficient separator in the class, making Love's life uh, Love's life job that much easier. Whoops-a-daisy. That's all right. We know what he meant. To be fair, Jordan Addison is probably my favorite um, of the group. Now, I'm, I'm actually feeling quite vindicated because Dane Brugler was just on Twitter and was talking a lot about the wide receivers, kind of talking about, for example, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who I think we'll be talking about tomorrow. That's the third most mocked of the Packers. But um, kind of talking about he's probably a late round for, or late first, early second round prospect in reality, meaning if we're going to get him, it's more than likely going to be either in a trade back or in the second round. Anything's possible, but I'm just saying. But in general, what he said is these wide receivers are not actually seen as being super supremely great. And that's kind of been my thought this whole time. I'm not supremely impressed with any of the wide receivers. Jordan Addison is probably my favorite of, uh, and, and by the way, there might be some risers and, and there are others that I like that I've looked at that are like mid round or whatever. There's a lot of guys I haven't looked at, but the three that are always seen as the top three can't miss. I don't really like 
any of them a ton, but J- Jordan Addison is the one that I kind of can at least understand. And it's for this reason. He's more my style of wide receiver. He's got the straight line speed, but he's also got the great twitchy route running, the speed, the burst, the explosion, and the separation, which is always going to be my favorite thing. It doesn't always translate to being a great wide receiver because you get separation in college, but I love it. I like it. And I think it makes sense because again, I think if we're going to look for somebody, it's going to be more of a Dobbsy type player, I guess, not to say that we're going to wonder one replace the guy. And again, I am not opposed in any way to getting a, a another field stretcher. And I think Jordan Addison can do that. I think he will run quite fast, but it's that other Devante attribute that we're kind of missing, which is just my ability to either get away from the guy across from me, if it's man coverage, or if it's zone to be able to find that that soft spot in the zone and to understand how to navigate that, which, which you know, I, I think that is one of the areas that I sort of undervalue because to me, finding the soft spot in the zone is something a six-year-old could do, right? Run to where people aren't standing and stay there. But watching these rookies and things and the amount of miscommunication there are in terms of where they're supposed to be, and for example, don't just keep running, stop. It does seem to be a little bit more of a skill than I think maybe I give credit for. You know, it could be something as, as, as simple as varying your speed. You know, I don't want you to stop there, but I do want you to slow down and how much and, you know, at what depth do I run this route and do I come to a hard stop when and where you know, I'm between these guys, but should I be further back or forward or whatever the case may be? It's just being in that right spot at the right time. Again, I, I give almost no credit to that whatsoever because it seems like, and that's why I hate watching receiver highlights sometimes because it's like, oh, wow, you ran to an open area and were wide open and he threw it to you and then you ran until you got tackled. Wow, that's, I tell you what, I think there's like four guys in the world that could have done that. Congratulations. But that's what we need. We need a guy that on a, on a down-to-down basis, he's a problem. If you, if you go in man coverage, he's going to get away from him. If you play zone coverage, he's going to find that spot and he's going to be open. Uh, the next mock draft, this was done by um, NFLmocks.com, AJ Fagerlin. Um, he says, will Aaron Rodgers be back with the Green Bay Packers in 2023? No one seems to know. In this mock, we are going to give the offense some help either way. Whether it's Rodgers or a young Jordan Love, any quarterback would love to have a receiver like Jordan Addison. 2022 draft pick Christian Watson came on in the second half of the year as a dominant force in the league with his size and speed. Romeo Dobbs showed flashes as well, but a player like Jordan Addison is the perfect addition and complement to Watson. It's kind of what I was saying. Addison has uh, produced both at Pittsburgh and USC in the NCAA, utilizing his route running, shiftiness, and hands to dominate his opponents. Addison is not just a gadget receiver. He has the speed, big playability, and enough physicality to win against any defender and at any level of the field. Mocked by Leo Sells of NFL Draft Buzz had this to say, uh, again, Addison at 15, this pick could definitely change depending on what happens with quarterback Aaron Rodgers this offseason. For now, I will surely work under the assumption that he's playing, and if that's the case, I think the Packers should seriously consider drafting their first wide receiver in the first round since 2002. Addison has been arguably the most productive college receiver over the past two seasons and even won the Blitnikoff Award in 2021. His speed and downfield separation would be a great complement to Christian Watson's size, and the Packers would find themselves with one of the best young receiving tandems if they draft Addison. It's hard to argue with that. I mean, whether or not he's right, I don't know, but it's hard to argue with um, wanting that for the Packers. Here's what CBS's Josh Edwards had to say at pick 15. Georgia tight end Darnell Washington has been a personal favorite in this spot for a few weeks. The Packers obviously have an affinity for Bulldogs after taking two of their first round. Uh, I just want to make sure that this is right. I don't know why he's talking about Washington the whole time. 
Anyways, uh, last sentence, Addison would be a good complement to the vertical threat that is Christian Watson. He spent the whole time talking about Washington. It is interesting, though, because I have seen this happen. There are rumors that uh, Washington is going to go a lot earlier than people think, which which I'm telling you right now, there's almost zero chance we get him in the second round unless it's a Christian Watson thing where we end up trading up to get him with the first or second pick in the second round. But there's a lot of talk about him being a first-round pick. And the question is, could this potentially be a top 15 pick for Washington? I don't know. But again, the the, the narrative is emerging. This is a good complement to Christian Watson's skill set. Chris Trapasso, also of CBS, had this to say. I'll just read the last sentence. It's the only one that matters. Addison is a dynamic route runner with a high floor. Anyways, looking at uh, Jordan Addison, we've got... Uh, He's not quite 21 years old, so very, very, very young, which used to be a staple of the Green Bay Packers. I think they've kind of looked more toward just find me really good players. I don't really care, which I do appreciate, but it is nice when you uh, have a Randall Cobb situation where it's like, dude, haven't you been here for 15 years? How are you 22 years old? I don't understand. Or Kenny Clark, for that matter. But he's listed here at six foot 175, expected 40 time around 439, which again puts him in the you know, what what used to be like freakish speed thing now is kind of the standard, but still 439 is a fast wide receiver. There is some concern about his size and the fact that he may end up uh, be re- being relegated to the slot, which technically is not um, the worst thing in the world for the Packers. Um, he would have to do some outside work if we're going to invest this early of a pick. No way in the world a pure slot goes at pick 15. In fact, a pure slot probably will not go in the first round period. But he did spend two years at Pittsburgh, uh, graded out fairly well for three years, uh, 70 as a rookie. And then in his best year was year two at Pittsburgh, 88.8 grade, 50, nearly 1,600 yards and 17 touchdowns. Then he entered the transfer protocol, goes over to USC, did miss a couple games, so that will obviously impact his uh, statistics, but 59 receptions, 875 yards, and eight touchdowns. The touchdown thing is clearly not a problem for Jordan Addison. Uh, and an 81.5 grade. So down from an 88.8 down to a 81.5, still solid. Um, best year in terms of drops. In fact, his hands have got better every single year just from a grade standpoint, 47, 63, and 85. Um, looking at his game-to-game grades, first of all, uh, 23% in the slots. We did play a decent amount, but not a ton. But from a grade standpoint, he does seem to have that high floor. Um, technically had some games in the 50s, but basically 59 is like his floor. So um, at worst, he's average, um, but when he's good, he's really good. So it's, it's like 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, and then he had 72, 73, and then 82, 83, 83, 83. So he's either average or he's really good. <laughs> Very, he's, he's, he's never really bad. I mean, Colorado, he was technically a 56, uh, so that would be his bad game. But as far as like good games, kind of three. 68 grade against Notre Dame, Arizona State, and Fresno State. And then he had his four really good games in the 80s, Utah, Rice, UCLA, and Stanford. But 2.78 yards per route run is uh, very, very high. 14.8 yards per reception, so fairly deep uh, option. Contested catch rate is 22%, so that's not really a strength for him. Uh, doesn't, well, that's, it was actually quite a bit down. So while at Pittsburgh, it was 53.8 and 55.6. So kind of a down year. Maybe, maybe he's a little better at that than this year would indicate. Um, six missed tackles forced, 139 passer rating when targeted, only two penalties against him. And then sliding over to SIS, uh, just kind of going through each of these things to see where he ranks highly as far as the, looking at yards per route run and drop, uh, percentage on target catch percentage, all these things. The only one where he graded or, or 
ranked pretty highly was was his passer rating when targeted. He was the sixth highest out of uh, 172. Jalen Hyatt was number one. Then Matt Landers of Arkansas, Troy Franklin of Oregon, C.J. Johnson at East Carolina, then Marvin Harrison at Ohio State, then Jordan Addison at USC. Everything else, he's around 15 to 20 range. Uh, if you look at, for example, points earned per route, 37th. Points above average per route, 36th. EPA per target is 16th, which is relatively high. Again, Jalen Hyatt comes out on top. I got. I got to. Di- I, I have a feeling when I dig into J- Jalen Hyatt, I'm going to be a big fan. That's just the assumption I'm going to have. He's big on stats. He's got all the speed. He's got. Every- I just. I think I'm going to like him. Uh, positive percentage. What percentage of the time when he's on the field is there a positive play? He ranks 54th. Um, boom percentage. You know what percentage of the time is it a really good play? He ranks 29th. And then uh, bust percentage. This is where that high floor comes in. Sixth. Not sixth in bust percentage, but sixth lowest, which is to say very rarely does anything bad happen. So I wouldn't say low ceiling. I don't think that's fair, but he's not the premier, premier receiver in the league. I think he's a good receiver with a high floor, as has already been stated. Just just glooming, grooming, glooming through the, the statistics. I don't know the word. But I also wanted to look a little bit with SIS because I have the ability to kind of one of the things I want to look at, similar to what I did with Josh Myers, and Josh Myers passed this test with with flying colors, is look at the areas in which the Packers struggled and see if you plug him into those situations where he ranks. So the first thing where I did with Josh Myers is looking at the red zone. Inside the opponent's 20-yard line, if you look at uh, points earned per route, he ranks 60th. First of all, let's just look at the statistics for Jordan Addison. Um, inside the 20, he ran 41 routes, had 16 targets, 12 of those passes were catchable. He caught 11 for 58 yards um, and four touchdowns. He also added seven first downs. So again, just ripping through the st- statistics, yards per target. And yards is tough because obviously there's not a lot of yards to gain, but 73rd in yards per target, 56th in yards per route run, 63rd in first down percentage, 66th in passer rating, which again, he's very good in passer rating. So the fact that he goes from that high from being 6th, I think, down to 66th when you get inside the 20. Basically, he's, he's, he's the between-the-20s guy, or, or up to the 20. you got to do something when you get in the red zone. Addison's not going to help you. And I said he's a big touchdown guy. I'm guessing a lot of these came on deep shots because he's not doing it from inside the 20. Points above average per route, 58th. Uh, EPA per target, 76th. Positive percentage, 25th. Boom percentage, uh, 96th, and then bust percentage, he's actually 43rd. So red zone is not not his area. But you look at just excluding the red zone, second highest passer rating when targeted behind only Jalen Hyatt. He has a 136.2 passer rating when targeted, um, excluding the red zone. So from goal line to the 20, the opponent's 20, second highest. So that's something worth considering. Another area the Packers struggled, at least to some degree, third and fourth down conversion. The Packers uh, last year were 17th in third down conversion rate and were 28th, 28th in fourth down conversion rate. Um, Obviously, sometimes you run the ball, but let's be honest, that usually wasn't the case. And in the third and fourth down situation, yards per route run, he's in the 30s. Most importantly, first down percentage, he's at 90%, which... Seems pretty solid, but that puts him uh, what, tied for 23rd, I guess. 
passer rating again relatively high probably because he gets a bunch of deep touchdown passes or whatever but 137.5 puts him at eighth so not terrible not the greatest so i i guess overall as far as jordan addison i'm certainly not opposed to it i think the concept of we need to add another good wide receiver is correct but again you have to be able to connect the dots between that and this pick solves that specific issue. A lot of times we'll do like a mock draft and we'll take the top wide receiver because, well, we need another elite wide receiver. Well, who says this is an elite wide receiver? And so my, my current issue is, although I like Jordan Addison just in a vacuum as a good receiver, a good route runner, good hand, I struggle with, number one, the fact that I do think that this is somewhat of a lesser class. Um, again, Dane Brugler, Brugler had made the case that essentially the top six wide receivers last year would all be better than this group. That would mean that the top wide receiver this year would have gone after Traylon Burks. You got Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, Jahan Dotson, and Traylon Burks. And a lot of people get upset because they're like, no, 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 no. Jackson Smith and Jigba was the best receiver on the team at Ohio State when it was uh, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, and they both said that Jackson is better than both of them, so obviously he's better, and the other two are better than Jackson, so that's not exactly how it works. The consensus seems to be that Olave and Wilson are, well, clearly they're faster, but they're better, more polished route runners, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that may or may not be the case, but the, the, the idea that Jackson Smith and Jigba, everybody already knows, is way better than Olave and Wilson. Olave and Wilson are studs, therefore, anybody that thinks Jackson Smith and Jigba isn't going to be an elite wide receiver is an idiot, which is usually the only response I get when I tell people to tell me about and Jigba. Well, he's better than Olave and Wilson, according to Olave and Wilson, and those two are good, therefore, he's going to be great. Now, okay, okay. That doesn't seem to be the consensus of talent evaluators. So you take that, and and by the way, Addison is not even consensus the best of this group. Um, pretty much anywhere you look, you'll see all different kinds of opinions on that. Quentin Johnston is generally seen as the best. So again, if you apply that, you'd have Drake London, then Quentin Johnston. You look at, for example, I'm looking at Draft Buzz, then they have Jalen Hyatt, then they have Jordan Addison. So again, we're kind of talking about potentially a late first, early second round pick. And look, you got to understand, I'm, I, I come from, and this is entirely wrong, but when I do fantasy football, and this is the first year, this past year I didn't do it, but I always like the best players. That is to say, I'm going to in that first round take a stud running back. In the second round, I'm probably going to take a stud wide receiver because they're available. The next round, I'm looking at maybe quarterback, tight end, if there's another stud somewhere else, because I want a, I want a st- elite quarterback, wide receiver, running back, tight end, defense, kicker. I want the best. I don't care if my number two isn't as good. I just That's just how I am about it. So when you look at, for example, Josh Myers and Jordan Addison, Addison might be the better pick. But if you look back over the last 10 years, Jordan Addison probably doesn't even rank in the top 20 of wide receiver prospects over the last 10 years. He might not rank in the top 30 or 40. I don't know. If you go back the last five years, he probably doesn't rank the last the, the top 20. Josh Myers potentially is the number two. Now, there's going to be debate about that. I, I know for a fact he is not, uh, what's his name, the Falcon guy. But after that, I think you could argue Josh Myers is the best tight end prospect outside of that. So tight end might not be as valuable as wide receiver, and I understand that. But if you're talking to me and you say you have the opportunity to get a good wide receiver or a once every five, 10 year tight end prospect, I'm probably going to go for the tight end prospect. 
And look, you got to lean into what the draft has given you. And I think the Packers do a good job of that. They take what the draft gives them. If it's heavy in this, they end up usually drafting that. This is a better than usual tight end draft by far. I mean, you, you got potentially two first round picks and sometimes that happens, but it's, it's, it hasn't in a while. I think wide receivers are a little weak. It's not being projected that way because you've got two guys that are kind of close to being top 10 prospects. I think that's going to continue to fizzle. I think the Quentin Johnson thing took a big hit in the championship game. I think Jordan Addison is seen as good, but not great. And again, being six foot 175, potentially going to be a slot guy. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba running in the high four fours, you know, uh, probably just a slot guy. I mean, there are, there are negatives here. Even Jalen Hyatt, you know, he's that true speed threat, but he's six foot 180 and probably, I'm assuming, not very refined based on the fact that he's not considered, you know, a top 10 prospect like most of the four two prospects are. So I don't think it is a, a very good wide receiver class. Now, that doesn't mean that Jordan Addison isn't the right pick. Maybe he is. I don't know. But as of right now, if you put the option of Josh Myers or Jordan Addison in front of me, I probably take Josh Myers because I think it solves more problems. I think it gives us a receiver. I think it bolsters our blocking. And I also think he solves problems that we have that are specific uh, deficiencies, which is converting on third down, converting on fourth down, and red zone. Those are specific areas that we struggled that Josh Myers does help in that Jordan Addison does not. Now, getting us to the red zone, Jordan Addison is your guy. Adding a another receiving threat to take some pressure off of Watson, Jordan Addison's your guy. A compliment to Christian, Jordan Addison is your guy. Additional speed, because he's also a, a fast wide receiver, Jordan Addison checks that box. So it's somewhat preference down the line. But for me right now, based on the two that we've talked about, I think Myers makes a little bit more sense. Although it's probably a little bit of a higher risk proposition, because a lot of the receivers coming out, even again, even if you're not the top guy, look how many first-round picks are hits as opposed to busts over the last three, four years. It's pretty incredible. And if you get even a good wide receiver out of Jordan Addison, as opposed to the, like the 10% chance that Josh Myers turns into a dominant tight end, that's the risk. But are you willing to, to gamble the, and roll the dice on a prospect that actually does solve a lot of those problems and gets you to where you need to be? Or play it safe and take Jordan Addison and say his floor is going to be a good wide receiver for us. Again, personal preference. And I would be pretty torn on that as well. But I'm leaning toward let's roll the dice and see if we can't get a stud tight end. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that for today. You guys have yourselves a fantastic uh, rest of your day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.